And you're listening to Radio Boston. I'm Simone Rios in for Tiziana Deering. When WBUR reporter Ari Gray headed to the Museum of Fine Arts, she was prepared to write about a new exhibit that's up now, a collection of photos depicting members of the Black Panther Party. But her plans changed when she saw a photo of a group of Panthers taken in Boston. So she decided to try and track those members down. And spoiler alert, she found them. Ari Gray joins us now to talk about that. Her experience with one of the women in that photo, a volunteer with the Black Panther Party. Also with us is historian slash journalist Dart Adams. Welcome, both of you. Thanks for having me. Ari, if you could start from the beginning. So you're going to this exhibit on assignment, but your plans change. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I went, obviously, because I was interested in learning more about the Black Panther Party. And I saw this one particular photo that just struck me, mainly because it was taken in Boston. And a lot of folks don't know a ton about the Boston chapter of the Black Panther Party. True. So it was really interesting to me. But was what was more even interesting was the fact that these women were unnamed. And there are some women in the exhibit who are named, but many more of them are not. And so I wondered who these women are um, or who they were. Uh, I'm from Boston. And so I knew that somebody that I knew had to know somebody who knew somebody Mm -hmm. who would know who these women are because the black the black community here is big but also small at the same time okay so I did what any good reporter would do I put the photo (laughs) up on Facebook (laughs) (laughs) that's a good tip right there and and you heard from somebody I heard from multiple people okay multiple people actually one um one woman that I know was like oh the woman on the right that's my old Sunday school teacher no and then a couple of other people were like those look like the Hayes siblings from Academy Homes and then my grandfather texted me and said um, that is Jacqueline and Gil Hayes with their brother in the back Mm. Um, and that was what kind of finally solidified the connection and actually Gail Jones one of the women in the photo her son reached out to me and was like that's my mother my aunt and my uncle in this photo that's crazy he gave me her contact information I got in contact with her and she was able to correctly identify everybody else in the photo okay I want to get back to that but we have Dart Adams here and it's true what Ari said um, Black Panther Party Boston chapter it's not something people talk about a lot yeah what do we know about the Panthers in Boston? So, uh, for me, I'm actually doing a piece right now for the Emancipator about the 1963-1964 um, Freedom Schools. And the anniversary, the 60th anniversary will be the 26th. Now, why is that important? A lot of the kids, a lot of the young people that joined the Black Panther Party between 1968 when it was founded that summer um, and also were very involved when the leadership switched over in May 1969 were kids that were involved in the Freedom Schools or activists afterwards between 1964 and 1967 into 1968. So a lot of the kids in this photo, in this picture, were actually involved in the Boston civil rights struggle but in the 60s leading into the late 60s. And a lot of them joined the Black Panther Party from from SNCC, the Student um, non, uh, Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, who were very active in the... Um, in the Boston Freedom Movement back in 63 and 64. So a lot of these kids that were in the Freedom Schools ended up joining the Black Panther Party. Okay, so this this wasn't like Oakland where the, the Panthers were first established, but there, and we're also not talking about a huge organization. My understanding is that at the height of the Black Panthers, there were 5,000 members. 
that didn't stop the head of the FBI from considering them mm-hmm. public enemy number one. But there was a, a, a chapter here in Boston that was doing things in the community. Oh, yeah. They were very community-based uh, and community-organized. Again, the first members came out of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and they were very community-based coming out of working in, in the inner city, you know, because in Boston, we, the black and Latino community was fighting against the Boston police the mayor's office, the BRA, the Boston Redevelopment Association, uh, the welfare office, uh, the Boston public school system, which was very inequitable. And a lot of the schools that the kids were running, like in the research, I found the newest building that kids were going to was built in 1937. And some of the oldest were going back to the early 1900s, late 1890s. And so they were dilapidated buildings. They were drafty. They had rats. And these were where they were. Children were being sent to go to school. And out of that and all these things that just were at a disadvantage in black communities in South End, Lower Roxbury, Roxbury, Dorchester and on. This is where the rise came for, you know, the Boston Civil Rights Movement, including the Black Panther Party. Okay, so we're talking about a new exhibit at the MFA on the Black Panther Party. They had a photographer, uh, Stephen Shames, who they, they hired to come and document the work that they were doing in the communities, including in Boston. Ari Gray, um, you're the reporter here at WBUR, who found one of the women who was photographed in Stephen Shames' work up on display now at the Museum of Fine mm-hmm. Arts. And you actually went to the MFA with somebody named Gail Jones, one of the women Yes, involved. I did. I did. I accompanied Gail Jones to the MFA to see the photo in person for the first time. Now, this photo was taken in 1970, and Gail was around 15 years old at the time. She was really young. And so there are five teenagers in this photo. They had no idea really what happened with it over the decades. They had no idea if it had been printed or whatever. So until I put the photo up on Facebook, they had never seen the photo before. So this is their first time really seeing it. So I got to go to the MFA with Gail to see it in person. And she was just blown away and taken back, um, you know, all the memories coming back of what she was doing when she was 15 years old and volunteering for the Black Panther Party. And then also just memories of her and her friends and their life at that time in Boston. Um, it was really it was really a transformative experience. What did she tell you? You know, how did she get involved in the Panthers and and? She how did you know what's she up to now? For Gail, Gail is now retired. Um, but for her, she got involved in the Black Panther Party after a tragedy. She had found a friend dead of an overdose in Academy Homes. And she described feeling, you know, empty, a uh, sense of loneliness. Um, and her older siblings actually were volunteering for the Black Panther Party, and she started running with them, as she describes it. And from there, she got involved, and she started um, handing out the newspapers down at what's now known as Nubian Square. And that's how she got involved. It started off with this tragedy, but then she describes through her, through volunteering with the Black Panther Party, she found her purpose again. And... Um, yeah, from there, you know, she volunteered for a couple years. And then after that, um, she just went on about life. And, you know, she stopped volunteering for the Black Panther Party. What happened with the Black Panther Party um, in Boston? Dart Adams, historian, local journalist. I'm curious to hear with, where Gail Jones' story ends. Mm-hmm. 
Why did they dissolve here in Boston? So uh, when it started again, started from members of uh, SNCC and then, you know, became the Black Panther Party. Uh, early on, they were really a grassroots organization, uh, community-based, community outreach, uh, centered on health, well-being of Boston's black community. Uh, in 1969, uh, the leadership completely changed. Uh, everybody who was in installed originally who were original members were removed and they were replaced by uh, pretty much all Boston members. And after that happened in uh, summer 1969, uh, spring and summer 1969, that's when the police started actively going after and trying to suppress the Black Panthers in Boston. And they did incredible work. They uh, had a clothes giveaway. They had the, uh, the breakfast program. Uh, one of the places that they did it in was the uh, Roxbury Presbyterian Church, which was firebombed in 1972 um, and uh, dealt with arson and they've since moved. Uh, another thing that happened was um, they started, uh, they actually had a working clinic, the Free People's Clinic, named after a, a man who was murdered by the police. Um, and that operated and they actually did everything from surgeries to, you know, fixing things and having like people come in and get checkups and all that other stuff. Uh, but what ends up happening is 1972, uh, the Black Panther Party in Oakland pretty much calls all members from everywhere to come to Oakland because it's a dire situation. And the leadership who are in Boston and all Bostonians left. And after 1972, that four-year run of the Boston's Black Panther Party, which was a unique chapter in the history of the Black Panthers, because rather than be like the Oakland, the Detroit, or other uh, chapters that actively fought the police and dealt with, you know, being armed, they mostly based themselves on uh, dealing with the societal ills in Roxbury, Dorchester, uh, Roxbury, Lower Roxbury, South End, and dealing directly with the community and involving the kids, again, who came up through the, the Freedom School era. So there were a lot of teenagers that were very involved. And then in 1972, when it ended, they had to figure out something else to do with their activism. Okay, Ari Gray. So turning back to this exhibit at the Museum of Fine Arts, it focuses on the women of the Black Panther Party. And mm -hmm. something I learned, 65% of the party were, were women. women. Yes. Um, you're researching all of this for, for a project, uh, and this story is, is a beginning for you. Um, what's it been like to connect with Gail Jones and her sister, Jacqueline? It, it seems like a once-in-a-lifetime story to tell. It has been. It has been absolutely an experience being able to talk to them, being able to hear their stories, being able to just interact with them, with folks who are a part of history here in Boston. Um, yeah, it does feel kind of like a once in a lifetime type of thing. And I've learned so much just through this one interaction. I've learned so much about my own history, which has just been amazing. Bringing you into touch with your with your Boston roots even, yes, even further. Exactly. How can people view the photo of, of Gail and Jacqueline and, and the other photos in the exhibit? They can go to the MFA, Museum of Fine Arts Boston, and they can see the photos. Um, the photos are now up. There are 27 photos out of 115 photographs, black and white. And yeah, that's how folks can go and see this photo of, of Gail and Jacqueline, their brother and their friends. Well, that was WBUR reporter Ari Gray. Also, Dard Adams, a Boston historian and journalist, and uh, we're talking about the MFA exhibit on the women in the Black Panther Party. 
that photo and others are now up as part of the exhibit called Comrade Sisters. It's up until June. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you.